0: Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day. Each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, an austere religious scholar, who will be your host in this roundup of the past few weeks of Fake News. I was one of those homeschooled kids as I was growing up. And I know that whenever I say that, a lot of you picture somebody living off the grid, detached from society, in like a log cabin in the middle of the woods. And in my case, that would be accurate. Another caricature of homeschool kids is that they're antisocial and weird. And again, that described me perfectly. I was really weird as a kid. I used to do things like read books for fun. And I read a lot of books. Uh, Some of my favorites, I would just read them over and over and over again. Like I said, I was, I was weird in that way. Some of my favorite authors as a kid, uh, books like by people like Beverly Cleary or Judy Blume or Lewis Sacker. Um, we also had a lot of Laura Ingalls Wilder books as I was growing up, but they were a little bit more of my sister's thing. They were a little bit too girly for me. I only read like 12 of them. But probably my favorite author as I was growing up in, in all of children's literature was Roald Dahl. I read just about anything I could get my hands on that had his name on it. He's he's the legendary author of books like Matilda, The Witches, James and the Giant Peach, The BFG, The Twits, and like I said, I read them all, again and again. Probably his most famous book was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but did you know he also wrote a sequel to it? It was Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. I read both of those too. I remember this one school project, we had to read the Twits, and the man and the woman in the Twits, they were these ugly, horrid people. They were like ugly on the inside and ugly on the outside. It was their ugliness on the inside that caused them to become so ugly on the outside. And I mean, that's used as like a lesson within the book. I even remember I had this school project when I was a kid. We made a plate of food, and we had to arrange the food to look like one of the main characters in the Twits. It is like mashed potatoes for the, the beard and eggs for the eyes. And uh, there were like pretzel sticks for the junk that got caught in the beard. That was just, that was another plot point in the book. And we were supposed to eat the food on the plate. I, I couldn't finish all my mashed potatoes, I remember. Um, I don't know why that's like a distinct memory from my childhood, except that Roald Dahl, he was a big part of my childhood. I have memories of reading several of his books And he wasn't just special to me, he was something special in the world of children's literature. And so, like all things that are special and beautiful, progressives are now trying to ruin it. NPR reports, new editions of legendary works by British author Roald Dahl are being edited to remove words that could be deemed offensive to some readers, according to the late writer's company. The Telegraph reports, Augustus Gloop is no longer fat. Mrs. Twit is no longer fearfully ugly. And the Oompa Loompas have gone gender neutral in new editions of Roald Dahl's beloved stories. <laughs> so, To me, this is this is worse than if they just decided to ban his books outright, which that would still be a terrible thing. But what they're doing now is they're going back in time and they are re-editing his works to make him say things that he never actually said. Back to what NPR was reporting. They said, um, the character Augustus Gloop in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is no longer called fat. Instead, he's described as enormous, as as if that's so much better. I'll, I'll explain why they changed that in a little bit. Instead of being called small men, Oompa Loompas are now small people, the article says. Further, the changes to these books include adding language not originally written by Dahl. In his 1983 book, The Witches, he writes that witches are bald beneath their wigs. According to the Now let me let me stop there for a second. Th- this is a plot point in the book The Witches that um I I can't remember every detail about the story. I know it's about like a boy and his grandma. They go to this like resort or something like that. And there's all these women there and some of them are are the witches. And the way that you can tell or how you can discover that they're a witch is that witches don't have hair. So this is this is like a an identification marker in the story. Um, so, if you if you find out that a woman there is wearing a wig, you know there's a good chance that she's that she's a witch. And so, this is a plot point in the book. Okay, so let me read you what the what the book originally said. All right, it reads: This is from the original book. Don't be foolish, my grandmother said. You can't go around pulling the hair of every lady you meet, even if she is wearing gloves. Just try it and see what happens. Um, because the witches in the stories, they would wear gloves and, and wigs. So in the new 2022 edition of the, uh, of the books, this is what the books not say now. Don't be foolish, my grandmother said. Besides, there are plenty of other reasons why women might wear wigs. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. <laughs> They're like changing a plot point. This is not just some dialogue. I mean, this is actually kind of messing with one of the plot points of the book. Here's another line from the book. Uh, where it says, even if she is working as a cashier in a supermarket or typing letters for a businessman. So this is the original quote. They've changed it now in the newer editions to say, even if she is working as a top scientist or running a business. <laughs> Got to get that girl power angle in there, right? Um, now, why am I upset about this? Because it's not just some feminist lingo they're changing. They're, they're apparently also updating some language to make it sound more... Um, Well, as we mentioned, the gender-neutral stuff from earlier, but but also taking out some racist-sounding language, uh, things like that. Why am I upset about making these changes? Let me start by talking about James Bond for a minute. I'm a longtime fan of the James Bond movie series. I've seen every single one, some of them several times. Uh, The first James Bond movie came out in 1962. Uh, which makes actually last year was the 60th anniversary just of the films. There was a whole book series before that, that most of the movies are based on uh, a lot of the books. The first um, Bond film, though, it came out in 1962. So this is an old series. And in that time, they've released 25 of the films. And it's like about every two to four years, a new film in the series comes out every 10 or 15 years. A new actor is hired to play Bond. I like all the movies. You know, I recognize some are better than others. Uh, Some of them disappoint me for various reasons. Some of them can have, like, dual stretches throughout them. But I like them all. I like them all because, to me, each one represents the time that it was made. And I always find that interesting. You know, even in some of the weaker films, I always find it interesting just to see how they made movies in those days because it kind of feels a little bit like time traveling. Um, You know, it's a little silly that the climax of From Russia With Love, it has James Bond using a chair to fight off an old lady who has poison-tipped knives popping out of her shoes. You know, it's ridiculous to us to see that today. But I also recognize that the film came out in 1963 or 1964. You, You wouldn't see a climax like that today. This movie was a product of its time. It's silly that James Bond went to space in 1979's Moonraker. But star wars came out in 1977 and when that happened suddenly everything was about space so james bond had to go to space in his next movie you know it's silly but it made sense or at least it made a little bit of sense if you look at it in the historical context this film was a product of its time i'm not saying it makes the film good i don't you know i think moonraker is one of the weaker james bond movies um another one from the 70s uh live and let die if you look back at that time, there was this trend going on in Hollywood that they were taking majority black casts and majority black filmmaking crews. Uh, they call that era black exploitation. You know, now we look at it, 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 it as if it was in poor taste, that it was racially offensive to make films only by black people, exclusively for black people. It's kind of weird Hollywood's doing that all over again now, but you know, it was. But, but now we look back on that era in Hollywood. And they, they call it black exploitation. They say you were exploiting black people by pulling these stunts and hiring people on the basis of race and all that. And um, But a James Bond movie came out during that time. 1973's Live and Let Die. And that's one of my least favorite films of the entire franchise. I've seen it a handful of times. It's been at least 10 years since I saw it. I think it's one of the weakest Bond movies of all. I think it's awful. <laughs> but, but I find it really interesting. You know, even if I were to watch it today, it's very interesting to me because it represents the time it came out in. It was a product of its time. No movie like it came out before. No movie like it will probably ever come out again. It's a time capsule. And so that's why no matter which James Bond movie is on, I can sit down, I can watch it, I can have a good time. And and that's another reason why I'm against changing Roald Dahl's books. I mean, the big thing is that they're his books, right? They're not your books. They're not my books. They're not even his kids' books. They're not the books of anybody alive today. He's not here to change them. He's not here to sign off on any changes. It's his work. It's his words. And two, his books are products of their time. So is some of the language in the books offensive? You know, maybe, maybe not. Um, it, they're not really to me, but that's an opinion. And You can have your opinion. I don't care about yours. Our opinions don't matter because they are his words. And they're a product of the time in which they were written. So if you don't want your kids to read them, don't give them to your kids. But when you get the books rewritten and reprinted, then you're not going to let my kids read them either. either. Okay. And I would, I'd be happy to let my kid read them as he gets older and (laughs) learns how to read, but I would want him to read them in their original format. And, and, You know, that's going to be hard because now it's hard to find them for sale anywhere. Everything Roald doll related is sold out right now. And that kind of makes me wonder, was that the goal of all this? Was that the point? You know, it's kind of like a few years ago, they took some Dr. Seuss books off the shelves saying that they were racially insensitive, even though nobody explained how these books were offensive, but they took them off the shelves. Suddenly you couldn't find a Dr. Seuss book anywhere for a while. They were all sold out. And it makes me wonder if this is a marketing gimmick. Um, Maybe that's what they're doing here with Roald doll. You know, the, so it's the rolled doll story group that announced these changes. Maybe this is also their way of clearing out a backlog or something like that. You know, I don't know. But, but regardless of the intentions behind it, I am 1,000% against the idea of changing a dead author's work to make it less offensive. Okay, and for one thing, I don't, I don't agree that they're offensive. You know, it, it, they say the offensive stuff is like calling Augustus Gloop fat, That's because he was fat. (laughs) The book is teaching us that it's not good to be fat. We're not supposed to be comfortable with this kid who is so obsessed with chocolate that he sees a chocolate river and he has to go stick his face in it. That's not healthy. We are supposed to read that and be repulsed a little bit by him. We're supposed to learn a lesson from the excesses of the the various children in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, and, And really the giveaway... Uh, is that that they're leaving in the descriptor that he's still enormous. You know, they say that's okay. But using the word fat in a negative context, that is what is offensive. That's because progressives right now are trying to normalize unhealthy lifestyles. They want fat to be an identity, so therefore they want it to be something you can't criticize. They say don't be fat phobic. (laughs) That's one of their actual terms they're using nowadays. But here's what Roald Dahl wanted us to know. Augustus Gloop was not a victim. He brought his problems on himself. That's why the Oompa Loompas would come out and they'd mock him and they'd sing a song about him and in each one of the kids every time something terrible happened to them at the factory. And so the Oompa Loompa thing, that's really what gives away the game. But, you know, besides the leaving an enormous thing, but did you catch where they're also wanting to make the Oompa Loompas ginger neutral? Because, you know, everybody knows... It's offensive to only have male Oompa Loompas, right? See, nobody was offended before about the Oompa Loompas. These changes are not about being offensive. They're trying to change the culture. The terrible people over at the world Doll story group, they are trying to influence and change our culture. And I have a feeling that they might be a bit enormous themselves. The direction that I see this going is a mix of Fahrenheit 451 and also the novel 1984. And I've mentioned 1984 a few times on this podcast. Uh, it's what had the Ministry of Truth. They were constantly rewriting history. I mean, that's literally what's going on right here. Uh, but why were they doing that in the series? Because they knew that the, the truth, they knew, they knew the truth that he who controls history can also control the future. But also I see a lot of parallels today with Fahrenheit 451, uh, 451, that a few years ago I was doing a mentorship program and I was talking with like at-risk teens and this one boy who was, he was on the verge of not graduating. He was, he was actually starting to turn a corner a little bit in his life. And one one way that I know that is he actually did his assigned reading for his English class. It was Fahrenheit 451. And I, I was not just proud of him. I was also kind of proud of the school that they were still assigning that book, even in, in high school today, because uh, that is one of those books I think every teenager should read. This teenager read the book, and he was actually really enthusiastic about it. Like, he didn't just read it. He had actually really absorbed the story. And, and so I got to have a conversation with him about this, and I was like, you know, do you realize it's easier than ever for this book to become a reality? Which to him, he's like, what What are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, in the book, that, that book's about a dystopian future in which books are burned. Nobody's allowed to read any literature. And so the, the books are not allowed. And the, the story is a little bit silly because it's almost impossible to enforce something like that in reality. But every day that goes by, it actually would be easier to implement something like that in our society because everything is going digital, right? We own digital copies of everything right now. Books, books are digital uh, on Kindle. Nobody buys CDs anymore. But movies, you know, you, have your, you can have your physical copy collection, but a lot of them come with a code to where you can build your digital copy collection. And then over time, they're training people to not even buy the physical copy anymore. They're like, look at all these conveniences. And it's cheaper if you just buy a physical copy to where you can download it to a device and stream it and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, early on, I, I kind of liked this, this new trend because, you know, I like to keep up with tech. I bought some books on Kindle. I, once in a while, I still do. But I bought a lot of books on Kindle. But over time, I realized I like having that physical copy that I can hold in my hands and that nobody can take away from me or change. Because here's a, here's a few reasons. One, when I then when I buy something, it's actually mine. Whenever it's digital, it's just out there in the cloud, okay? It's in the ether. And that means, you know, Amazon, they could take away the book at any time. You, you might not realize this, but that's part of the terms and conditions whenever you buy a Kindle book. You don't own the digital book. What you own is a license to the digital book. And that little distinction, that means they can just take it away anytime they want. They don't even have to give you a refund. They can just rescind the license anytime they want to, so, you know, it can be handy to own a digital copy. I'm not saying don't, just don't bother with it, but you just got to be aware you don't necessarily get to keep it when you own something digitally. And what's even more sinister about digital copies is they could always go in later and kind of subtly tweak and change some things. Um, and I mean, this has happened quite literally already. Uh, Donald Trump, he was edited out of Home Alone 2 a few years ago that he would so that that movie came out in like the early 90s i want to say so this movie is about 30 years old and it actually features a cameo of donald trump at that time because you know before he was a famous president a famous guy on the apprentice before all that he was famous for real estate in new york and that's where home alone 2 was taking place and he's the kids running around new york and he actually runs into the donald trump Excuse me, where's the lobby? Down the hall and to the left. Thanks. So he actually filmed a cameo for that movie that like one of the hotels that the kid's running through is like a Trump hotel, you know, and it's kind of a funny, silly thing in the film. But now Donald Trump has become president and he's become this controversial figure. And so the movie studio decided they didn't like that he was in the movie anymore. And they they just cut his scene out of the movie. You know, that's the reason that I don't like necessarily just the streaming version or just the digital copy version of a film because, uh, they could, they could always go in and change stuff around later and you might know, or you might not. And so if you have that physical DVD or that physical copy of a film, they can't do that to you. Then here's another thing that they can do now, as we become more and more reliant on these corporations and the government to tell us what we can and can't read. Um, Abigail Schreier, she wrote a book about transgenderism a few years back. It was called Irreversible Damage. This book is about mainly girls who got swept up in the the current gender ideology. And she wrote a book just interviewing people and doing research on the long term damages that resulted in these girls' bodies, both physical damage and the psychological damage. Now, Abigail Schreier, she's not a conservative, she's not a Christian. She's she's a she's, Her personally, she's a pro-gay person. She would consider herself politically on the left, pro-gay marriage, an ally of the gay community, but she doesn't agree with transgenderism. Like, she's pro-L, she's pro-G, she's pro-B, but she's not pro-T, and so that's not good enough for the LGBT Nazis out there who they demand compliance with every ounce of their agenda, and so they got Amazon to ban... Her book. It's not some hateful diatribe against the transgender community. It's just research and stories of people who actually went through some of these changes, made alterations to their body, which I will always say, you, you can't actually change your gender or your sex. It's a biological fact about you and all these hormone therapies and, and surgeries where they remove parts of people's bodies or paste on fake parts of people's bodies. They're just, they're, mutilation of healthy bodies. So I don't I don't even when I say change your body, there's always an asterisk there that you can't really change your sex or gender. But anyway, this book was just saying um just research of people who actually went through these processes and their thoughts and reflections on those things. Amazon banned that book. They also banned a book called When Harry Became Sally. This is by Ryan T. Anderson. Again, he's like this, you know, got guy with a doctorate or whatever. It's an analytical book. It's research. It's not even a book. It doesn't go into dramatic rants against the trans agenda. It just does research and it presents its findings. And doing research on the trans agenda that is too much for Amazon. Just doing just presenting some facts and logic. Too much for Amazon. Here's what the author of the book said, Ryan T. Anderson, when they banned his book on Amazon. The people who did read the book discovered that it's an accurate and accessible presentation of the scientific, medical, philosophical, and legal debates surrounding the trans phenomenon. Yes, it advances an argument against transgender ideology from a viewpoint, but it doesn't get any facts wrong and it doesn't engage in heated rhetoric. So you might say, well, what's the big deal if Amazon doesn't want to sell the book anymore? If Amazon doesn't want to sell a book, they shouldn't have to. Sure, but but here's the thing. Amazon now controls 83% of the market. On books, So if Amazon won't sell your book, you're losing, you know, 80% potential revenue that you could make. So it is, in a sense, crippling the distribution of your book when Amazon will not sell it. They've become almost a monopoly in this field. And then if Amazon's not going to sell your books, publishers won't want to work with you. Then they won't want to publish any books that go against the transgender agenda. So these actions by Amazon actually have a big impact on the culture and on society beyond just banning one book. They're telling publishers a message, don't publish books like this. You won't profit off of them. It's, it's like a form of book burning. It's Fahrenheit 451. That's what we're living in right now. In 1984, do you remember whenever Washington Post edited some of their own articles about Kamala Harris when she became the vice president nominee? Well, then Washington Post went back and they looked at some old articles that they had written about Kamala Harris and some of the awkward things that she does, some of the mistakes that she's made. They went back and edited those articles to take out references to her mistakes and, and her awkwardness. <laughs> they, they, they didn't want anything embarrassing to be out there about her. So they went back to old articles they had written. Why did they do that? Because she became the vice president nominee and they didn't want anything that would reflect poorly on her. They just wanted Biden to win. So they actually went back to their own articles and rewrote history. We are living in the 1984 Ministry of Truth, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That's why I keep a physical dictionary next to me as I record these podcasts. So that at any time, it was it came out in 2002. The world was a lot more sane back in 2002. I can always go back in that dictionary, this uh, Merriam-Webster that I have over here. I can look in it and look at what the definition was. 20 years ago of words. Because what progressives love doing now is going into modern dictionaries, which are digital, so they can just be retyped at any time and re-uploaded. And they love going in and changing the definitions of words and adding new definitions. And it always reflects the left-wing desires of what they want language to be. They are trying to control the language. And this is how the left always wins because when they can control the language and then you give into it, and decide to go along with their redefinitions of language, then they win the culture and they win the war. So that's why I don't use their bogus terms like gender affirmation care, which is what I was describing before about those medical procedures that are supposedly intended to change someone's sex or gender. That's not possible. But they call those gender affirmation, meaning whenever we perform these mutilations on bodies— we are affirming the gender that somebody actually is. It's a lie. So don't use that kind of language. Don't call it gender affirmation. Because that's <laughs> that's just their slant on it. Or this article, this headline here, from the Associated Press. Okay? I'm not going to get into the details of the story. But just listen to this headline. Montana bill would let students misgender classmates. So apparently Mo- Montana's trying to pass a bill that says students are allowed... To call someone a he or a she, they don't have to use someone's preferred pronouns. They can say whatever they want, which is used to be known as free speech in America, <laughs> saying whatever you want. But how does the Associated Press, which should be a bastion of free speech, the first one to jump up and defend free speech, how do they describe it? They say, Montana Bill would let students misgender classmates. Well, when you say somebody is misgendering, that is biased language. That's not objective. That's taking a side. Misgendering is when you call somebody, uh, to the Associated Press, misgendering is whenever you call somebody in accordance with their biological gender instead of their chosen gender identity, okay? If you go by science and biology, the AP calls that misgendering, stating that you are getting something wrong when in fact you're being factually correct. The left has no interest in rooting their positions in biology, because biology is something that's objective. You can look at someone's biology in a microscope. You can know exactly what their DNA says. You can, you can prove a point with biology. You can prove that Bruce Caitlin Jenner is a man objectively, and the left doesn't like objective fact, because they want the freedom to change their arguments at any time, just to log on to dictionary.com and retype a new de- definition. They want the freedom to do that, so they don't want objective fact. Remember 10 years ago when their big thing about the homosexuality argument was that it's something innate, you know that oh, we're on the verge of discovering the gay gene, they kept saying that. We're going to prove it's a, you know, what when someone is gay, it's just a biological fact about them that can't be changed, and they were using this as an argument for changing the laws about about traditional versus gay marriage. So they were saying, you know, When someone is gay, they can never change it. It's just a fact about them. You know, so there was this nature versus nurture debate. When there was a lot of talk about what's called conversion therapy, where somebody says, I have homosexual attractions, but I want to change it. I want to be straight. And they would go see a therapist about it. And they started banning that. Like California banned therapists from even talking to someone about changing their sexual orientation. They banned it. Though that was the big thing 10 years ago. Now they don't talk about that anymore. They don't want to say that homosexuality is a fact about you because that would undermine their whole argument. Now they have phrases like gender fluid. Now they admit that your sexuality, it can be influenced or manipulated by culture and by nurture. Okay, and they always knew this. They were just lying before. Like that's why they wanted to change culture. They always knew if they changed the culture, they could change how many LGBT people there were. That's why in the youngest generation, Gen Z, you know, the polls nowadays are showing that 20 to 40, sometimes even nearly 50%, identify as somewhere in the LGBT spectrum. Whereas past generations were 1 to 3%. Well, that's because it's influenced by culture. Everybody can see it. It's it's in front of everyone's faces. <laughs> it was always a lie when they were trying to say that your sexual orientation is, is like a biological fact about you. We're going to discover the gene any day now. Scientists will discover in our DNA why some people are gay and what some are straight. No, it was always a lie. Always trying to change cultural attitudes about LGBT issues. And here's what they always said. We have to change these our attitudes about it because if we don't, LGBT teenagers are going to kill themselves because they are not accepted. Remember, when, you know? they were talking about that all the time. They were always talking about how we have to accept gay kids, gay teenagers, gay people, because if we don't, they're going to kill themselves. So you're a hateful bigot if you don't accept them because you're causing the LGBT suicide rate to go up. And yet, what do we see today? LGBT lifestyles have never been more accepted today than before. Um, What I'm saying is they've never been more acceptable in modern times than they were in the past. And yet, what do we see happening? More and more teens are killing themselves than ever. More and more LGBT kids are committing suicide today than ever before. I, wouldn't you expect that as it becomes more acceptable in society, as we throw them more and more parades celebrating the, you know, their sexual orientation, as it gets more and more accepted, shouldn't it, the suicide rate be going down? And yet it's going up. Why is that? Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. The result of... Decades of gay activists saying, give us what we want, or more kids might kill themselves. Look at what's happened. We gave them what they wanted, and yet more kids than ever are killing themselves. That's because everything about this ideology is backwards, okay? Sexuality has always been something that's fluid. Gender has always been something that's fixed. And yet they want to tell you it's the opposite. They want to tell you that your sexuality is something innate, or that's what they used to say. But then whenever it comes to gender, something that's a biological fact, they want to say, oh no, you can change your gender. Now you can be gender fluid. Now you can go from man to woman. It's always been some, you know, the exact opposite of reality. And of course, they'd changed the definitions of to that too back when it suited them. They used to say that the words male and female referred to biological sex, not gender. Like this was the distinction that they wanted to make. They said someone might be male, but feel like a woman. So they said, therefore, we should refer to them as a woman, even if their sex is still male. And they used the emotional blackmail to do this, saying, well, they might kill themselves if we don't give in and do that. So that was the distinction they made. They wanted to draw a line between sex and gender, which is not really there. They wanted to draw a line between those two things, and they said the terms male and female refer to biological sex, but not gender. And then a couple years ago, they just changed all that. Now they use female to, for gender terms as well, like in the New York Times. When Dr. Rachel Levine was put on the um, Rachel Levine was put on as the Assistant Secretary for Health and Human Services, okay. And the New York Times referred to her to him. It said Admiral Levine is the first female four-star admiral in the history of the Corps. Washington Post. Levine is also the organization's first ever female four-star admiral. Despite the fact that Rachel Levine is a man. I don't know his original name. He's a man. And also, they always told us in the past that female referred to sex, not gender. But see, here they go again, changing the rules. And just this all just changed on a dime in about this is like 2021. Early 2021, when Levine was installed in that position. And, and here's, guys, here's why Elon Musk had to buy Twitter. Because a couple years ago, Twitter banned PJ Media for tweeting out Rachel Levine is not the first female four-star admiral because he's a male. Well, saying that got them banned on Twitter for a little bit because they tweeted out that Rachel Levine is male. Then, Twitter also banned a sitting congressman for stating the exact same thing. I don't remember which one. It was a Republican. I don't remember which one. Then Babylon B commented on all this, okay? Simply stating the words, Rachel Levine is a biological male. They posted that on one of their accounts. They had to delete that tweet to regain access to their account. That Rachel Levine is a biological male. Even though it was true, a year before it would have been acceptable to say that. Because even the left said that the words male and female refer to sex and not gender. But all of a sudden... Not anymore. The rules changed and you could be locked out of your Twitter account for breaking them. Before I close down later, I'll just go ahead and mention this here. If you want to get in touch with Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast, Send us an email to fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. If you see some fake news, send it our way. And whoever gets it to us first will get credit for it. And also, um, if you want to stay in touch throughout the week, I do have a Twitter account. And it used to be Fake News Weekly, but I changed it. Now I can't remember what I changed it to, so I'm pulling out my phone here. It's it's now Fake News Luke, at Fake News Luke on Twitter. (laughs) If you want to come find me there. Uh, If you have a better Twitter handle idea, Send it my way. I'll gladly consider it. I tried a bunch of things. I just wanted to change it from Fake News Weekly because I can no longer keep up with this podcast on a weekly basis. So I'm just trying to kind of do more of these episodes just as I have time. Um, and it's it's hard to find the time. And I, I, I want to do a good job. I don't just want to, like, spit them out and have them be subpar. So I want to wait till I actually have something to say. And that, and so therefore, I can't just comment on every single thing that happens under the sun, as much as I'd like to. I have to be a little bit more selective in what I cover, and so more spaced out episodes. Sometimes there might be a little bit longer, but they you won't be able to get as many of them. So I know I will say this too: I have another podcast, Cross References. It's a Bible study podcast, so it doesn't have as much to do with news or current events. But I I also have that one too. Just had an episode of that one come out this past week. So. If you ever miss the sound of my voice, go look up Cross References. It's on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get this podcast. You can also find that one. Now, have I done a podcast episode since the State of the Union? I'm not not sure if I did. So we'll just go ahead and pause here for a message from our president. Make no mistake. If you try anything to raise the cost of presuming jobs, I will veto it. And before we close down today, I want to share some random thoughts. Um, one, I'm going to start keeping a list of, of all the 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 like the 10 commandments of fake news. I'm not sure if it'll be 10. I need I to go back over the history of this podcast and see how many rules I've created. It's probably going to be around 10 or so, so far. Like guidelines to remember as you read the news. Okay, here's one for the list. It's a new one. Well, first, let me set this up. Cause I'm going to read a quote from a recent article in the Seattle times. If you remember back in 2020 during like the BLM riots and over on the Northwest coast, I can't remember if it was like Seattle or Portland, but they opened up this, the autonomous zone. It was called chop. I think originally it was called Chaz. They were calling themselves like the Republic of Chaz. <laughs> then they had to change the name to chop for reasons that are hilarious, but for the sake of time, I won't get into it. So anyway, Trump didn't do anything about it. Cause he didn't want to see mean in an election year. So he basically let these people set up a hippie commune in the middle of the city. And the media just pretended it was a summer-long block party, even though terrible stuff was happening there. And they still are. They're pretending it was just one big fun party. Here's an actual quote in the Seattle Times very recently about, about this whole thing. So it said this. While CHOP was mostly peaceful... There were instances of vandalism and sporadic outbreaks of violence, including fights, an attempt to torch the abandoned police precinct, and at least four shootings that claimed the lives of two teenagers, including a 16-year-old boy whose death led the city to end the protest. (laughs) So a sentence that starts off, while CHOP was mostly peaceful, then it starts listing all the death and destruction that took place in CHOP. So here's my newest fake rule. I'm sorry, my newest fake news rule. Anytime the media uses the phrase mostly peaceful, they are lying about something. That's a dead giveaway right there. That's where my podcast gets its name from. A fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. It's because this is a phrase they use when they're lying to you. All right. Here's some more quick news. Let's do a What's Racist for this week. Everything is racist. So squirrels are racist. Um... Northwest Illinois University, someone there named Daniel Nuccio, wants you to know, biologists say that systemic racism harms birds, mammals, and reptiles living in urban areas. A new study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences claims that animals are fleeing black neighborhoods in favor of predominantly white neighborhoods. And the reason is systemic racism. So, I'm not going to dig into this one too deep, guys. I'll even say I... As I said before, I grew up in the middle of the woods in a log cabin. I was surrounded by squirrels. I would like all the black people out there to know they hate everybody. So don't take it personally. By the way, there was also news that the Black National Anthem was played at the Super Bowl this year. But that is not possible as there is no such thing as a Black National Anthem. There's just the National Anthem. Just want to make sure everybody knows that. All right, another piece of news. You might have heard that Nikki Haley is running for president. And I was, you know, I'm actually happy to see this, unlike most conservatives out there. Um, She was a darling of the Republican Party just a few years ago. And I still like Nikki Haley. But y'all remember how excited we were about her in 2017, 2018? She is making big waves as our UN ambassador. I mean, that is a role that is typically so meaningless. I don't think anybody could name a single United Nations ambassador before her or ever since her. But when she was the UN ambassador, she was in the headlines all the time. She was incredible. Before that, she was an amazing governor. So back then she was already being talked about as a potential presidential or vice presidential candidate in, in future elections. But yet ever since she announced that she's running, Republicans have been really down on her. And, um, I'm kind of disappointed to see that. I think she would be a fantastic option if she became the Republican nominee down the line. So I I kind of know why Republicans are hating on her, but I kind of don't. Um, I, so I want to review some of the reasons why. Some of them are kind of legitimate and others are not. But my gut feeling is that a lot of the hate out there about her running, some Republicans just, they want Trump to have it again for the third time. They want him to be our nominee. And so they're mad that anybody would dare to run against him. So they're already out here doing the pre-hate on Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and, any, as I said, any Republican who would dare to go against Trump. Seems like there's already a hate squad out there for each one of them. That's just my gut feeling on a lot of this stuff. But I want to interact with some of the other reasons being presented of reasons not to support Nikki Haley. So that's where I'm getting these from, all right? In fact, there's this viral thread that's been going around being shared by Republicans by a guy named Gavin Sample. He put out this tweet thread of reasons not to support Nikki Haley. So that's where I'm going to get, I'm going to just comment on this list. He's got 12 reasons. I'll try to go through it quickly. Number one, Nikki Haley fell for the Bubba Wallace hate hoax. So on that point, I'll agree. It was incredibly stupid. That's a fair point. She was not very smart to fall for that. Does that need to be a major issue in the 2024 campaign? I don't see why. It's not like she just has a tendency to believe every racial hoax. This was kind of a one-off thing. I mean, there's been lots of racial hoaxes. This was one that she fell for. Uh, Again, I'll agree she did something dumb. I don't see why that has to be some kind of disqualifier for 2024. That seems like you're setting your standards a little bit too high. Number two. Nikki Haley opposes combating big tech censorship. Okay, that is actually a lie. That is a mischaracterization of her position. She opposes certain types of government regulation in response to big tech censorship. She also said that three years ago. Big tech's made some different moves since then. I'm not sure what her position is on that today. You know, Maybe she's changed her mind on some of that stuff. Also, that doesn't really make her much different from about any other Republican out there. I mean, what is any Republican out there doing to combat Big Tech? Big Tech was a problem during the Trump years. He never did anything to solve this problem. The only person I can think of who's really tried to go after this is Ted Cruz. And yet he can't seem to get any other Republicans to help him out on that, from, from what I know. So why, why are we holding that against Nikki Haley specifically? Why, okay, again, the, a lot of these reasons are just silly. Number three, Nikki Haley said mass immigration makes us great. So that's a quote from an interview on the Ben Shapiro show podcast. The entire quote, which I went and listened to, she said, it's great when people want to immigrate to America, but that they need to do so legally. I don't see the problem with that quote. Okay. And here's how you can spot fake news. All right. When somebody just pulls three words out of a quote and then they build the rest of their headline, or in this case, a tweet, they build the rest of it around that, those three quotes, those three words. Why not just put the whole quote in the headline? Well, here's why this guy didn't do that on his tweet, because she said something totally ordinary that many Republicans say all the time, including Donald Trump himself. They said it countless times. I pulled up the video and heard it in context. This Gavin Sample guy is just fake news. Number four, this is one I really wanted to comment on. Nikki Haley removed the Confederate flag from South Carolina's state capitol after the 2015 Charleston church shooting. Okay, yes, she did do that. I mean, let me say this. I actually read Nikki Haley's book a few years. (laughs) I don't think Gavin Sample has. It actually gives the full story on this situation. The the Confederate flag was taken down by a vote of the state legislature. And again, over in South Carolina. Not only that, it required a vote of at least two-thirds majority to vote to take it down in order for them to take it down. When they voted on it, the vote was 94 to 20 in favor of taking it down. 94 to 20 is an overwhelming majority, okay? So even if she had vetoed it back then, they could have easily overridden her veto because they had a majority that was super large, okay? Therefore, it doesn't matter what she did. But she did sign off on it, okay? Because it was what a majority of the state legislature and people in South Carolina, what they wanted. So she signed off on removing the Confederate flag. Now... That's a key thing I think we always need to remember in these Confederate flag debates, okay, is what did the people who actually are living there with it, what do they want? Me personally, I'm not a big fan of the Confederate flag because when I see the Confederate flag, I think, oh, they fought a war and they lost. So I don't, I don't quite understand why people like to flag, fly the flag of the losing team. I'd rather fly the flag of a winning team. But that's my opinion. I'm a Missourian. I don't think it's my place to tell people in Georgia or Louisiana or South Carolina what they do with their flags. Because the flag, maybe, perhaps it means something different to them. Okay? I understand that in the vast majority of cases, their love for the Confederate flag has nothing to do with race or racism. So I'm perfectly happy to let them fly the flag if they want to. If they want to take it down, they can do that. I don't think it should be up to somebody in New York or California, or Missouri to tell a South Carolinan what the Confederate flag means to South Carolina. I think that's for South Carolina to decide. And they did. They decided by an overwhelming majority. So I don't see the problem with Nikki Haley removing that flag. Someone would have to explain that based on the actual context of the situation to me. Then as you go through the list, numbers... Five, six, seven, eight, and 9. I'm not even going to get into them. They are all just taking Nikki Haley quotes out of context. They take something she said a long time ago. They quote just a few words of the sentence. And then they use it to make her sound like she's actually being a Democrat. <laughs> That's what all of them are. It's boring. I'm not going to just go into every single one and debunk it again and again. Because I was doing that and I was like, oh, this is the same thing every time. Okay? As I said before, here's a good tip. Whenever you see somebody just using a partial quote, Track down the original quote. Go look at the entire sentence. It's not that hard to quote an entire sentence, okay? That's not asking too much. But whenever somebody just wants to quote a few words, and then they try to tell you what the person actually means using just, like, three words of what they said, they are probably trying to mislead you, okay? Don't don't believe someone who does that until you go and look at the entire quote. I will comment on number nine. Number nine. It says, Nikki Haley said in April 2021 that she would not run for president in 2024 and that she would support Trump. Okay, That's, there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, she also said that if Trump did run, she would talk to him about it before deciding if she would run against him. So we don't know if she did that or not. Trump seems pretty happy with her running alongside him. And I, I think it's pretty obvious why, because he knows that she's going to take votes away from DeSantis more so than from Trump. and and, you know also i'll just say this she said that two years ago now you could say that she broke her word politicians do that all the time um it would be hard to find a presidential candidate out there who didn't lie about something at some point so this is like a really weird standard yeah maybe she did lie you know i don't know if she talked to trump about it or not maybe she told a whopper and she decided to run anyway maybe she changed her mind in the past two years Maybe she never meant it as this is my permanent position. You know, I don't know, but even if she did lie, it's hard to find a politician who doesn't (laughs) lie at some point. (laughs) And I would rather see her run than Trump anyway. So I think we should just be careful about finding, trying to be purists in our pursuit of a presidential candidate, okay? Nobody is going to be perfect. Except maybe Ron DeSantis. I don't know any really problems with him. But... A lot of people are comparing everybody who runs to Trump, okay? And I don't like that, because Trump is not the gold standard. He solved a lot of problems. He also created a lot of problems. And uh, I appreciate a lot of what he did. But there are other people who could be better. Nikki Haley, you know, maybe in some ways she's deficient to Trump. There is also a lot of ways she's superior to Trump. So... When we're trying to decide who we're going to vote for in the primaries, you know, there's got to be some non-negotiables, sure. But is falling for the the Bubba Wallace hoax is that a non-negotiable? It's like if she failed for if she failed for every single race hoax that came along, that'd be one thing. But it, if it's just that one deal, then that I don't that, that's not a non-negotiable to me. Okay, Haley, DeSantis, Mike Pence—they've all shown themselves to be fighters against the lying media. And they fight the left. And they implement policies that the left doesn't like. And that's more than a lot of Republican politicians out there. So that's that's what I appreciate. I appreciate they're all willing to stand against the LGBT agenda. So this list was really silly. Like, There's a few more. Number 10, Nikki Haley said she wants to risk outright war with North Korea. Well, I tried to track this down. There was not a single quote from her that said that. <laughs> Number 10 was just an outright lie. Number 11, Nikki Haley has a record of pushing for war with Iran. That could be another lie, but I read this, I'm like, okay. Iran's the number one terrorist-sending nation in the world. They're always pushing for war with us. <laughs> Trump killed one of their generals a few years ago. Like, what is the what's the problem here? Number 12. Nikki Haley launched her campaign with merchandise that said, "Sometimes it takes a woman." Okay? This is another one. I agree that that's kind of petting and and annoying. Like, I roll my eyes at that one, too. Like, I think that was stupid that she did that. Is that a reason she shouldn't be the Republican nominee? You know, is that even something that belongs on the list? That's a pretty weak list. (laughs) This is how you cap it off. So I'll say this. Her announcement ad, it was a little bit lame. I felt like it was a little bit subdued. It doesn't strike me as someone trying to even make a big splash you know, as she announces she's running for president. It feels more like she's running for vice president. You know, she really did not come out the gate very strong. And um, I think it looks more like the kind of presidential campaign that she's just letting people know she's out there (laughs) and she's willing. (laughs) But it feels more like she's running for vice president. So I think she's just trying to get her name out there for that. That's the way I took it. Out of the 12 reasons that Republicans are sharing around Twitter for why she shouldn't be the candidate. I agree with like two of them. Okay, the first one, the last one. That's basically all I agreed with. I don't see how the others are major issues whatsoever. Okay, I think if you sat down and had a conversation with somebody about them, I don't see why they are major problems whatsoever. I only have one really major problem with Nikki Haley, and it wasn't something that showed up on that list, but something that is a big deal to me. It's that she referred to Bruce Jenner as a female, or a, a she, a woman, Now, I'm not sure how solid Nikki Haley is when it comes to her personal feelings about the trans agenda. I do find it problematic, I hate that word, but I find it problematic that she would refer to Bruce as Caitlyn and use feminine pronouns to do that. So, I don't like that. Maybe you're listening and you don't like that either. But here's what I also say, if we're going to be consistent about that, I need to point out something else. Donald Trump did the same thing. Donald Trump was pro-transgenderism and pro-gay marriage in both of his runs for president. That, that was even one of the reasons that I didn't vote for him in 2016 because he was pro-gay marriage, pro-LGBT and all that stuff. I didn't like that. I mean, I, I spent my entire, like, teenage and adult life fighting against the gay agenda. And then I turned around. Personally, I've turned around and voted for a guy in 2020 who was pro-gay marriage, Donald Trump. So, and and you did too. If you voted for either major party candidate in 2020 or in 2016, you voted for a pro-gay marriage and pro-transgenderism candidate for president. I mean, in 2020, Donald Trump was prancing around a stage, waving a rainbow flag. Just before the 2020 election, he was still doing that, promoting evil and wickedness. And yet, I'll admit, I still voted for him, even though I despise that whole agenda. Now, why would I do that? Like, why would I vote for him, even though he was doing that stuff? Because I I had already seen, after four years of evidence, even though Donald Trump was personally pro-gay marriage and accepting of transgenderism and all that stuff, even though he was personally, he wasn't promoting pro-transgenderism policies in his role as president. He had demonstrated that to me after four years of evidence, okay? Like, for example, before Obama left office in 2016— He instituted rulings, executive orders, that kids in schools could use whatever bathroom they wanted. But regardless of their biological sex, they could go into whichever one they wanted. When Trump entered office, he ended that policy. Okay? And there's lots of examples like that. That regardless of his own personal feelings on it, he was not going to use the federal government to push this pro-gay agenda on Americans. So I knew he wasn't going to use LGBT gender ideology, like he wasn't going to push that in the public schools. He wasn't going to enforce that on the populace. He wasn't going to fly rainbow flags at our embassies around the world. He wasn't going to light up the White House in rainbow colors. He wasn't going to do a bunch of that junk that the Biden and and Obama administration that they've been doing. So anyway, I did not let that hold me back from voting for him. Nikki Haley is at least against gay marriage. She's against letting boys and girls locker rooms. She's against letting boys play on the girls sports teams. So as far as I'm concerned, I think she's got a better handle on this stuff than even Trump did. If I could vote for Trump, I could vote for her. I want to mention one last thing today and then... I got some closing thoughts for you. I I do this podcast because we can never tell what's real anymore, and so it's actually about to get a lot harder. That's what I want to tell you before we go today. These AI chatbots, these artificial intelligence image generators, they are getting so sophisticated. You just really can't know anymore. You know, you're even if you're watching a video, you can't know if you're watching something that's real or not. They can mimic faces. They can mimic voices. They can generate a response to you as if you're talking to a real person. Like, do you remember this became a really it's a really cool feature in a lot of movies starting about five or six years ago. They could digitally de-age a lot of people and insert their face into movies on, you know, on like different bodies. They did this with Jack Sparrow in one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, like showing him as a 20-year-old, even though the actor is like 40 or 50. They did this with Princess Leia, in one of the Star Wars movies, a couple of them, they showed her as a young person. They've done it with Luke Skywalker on the Mandalorian show. So they've done this with like a few different people. They can they can take an actor and very convincingly make them look like a younger version of themselves. Or even they took a dead actor, uh, Peter Cushing. They took him. He's been dead for years and they put him in one of the newer Star Wars movies. And you know, you could kind of tell it's fake when you look close, but if you weren't watching super close, you wouldn't be able to tell it was fake. So they, and, and that was five or six years ago. It's gotten so much more advanced. They can do it with just about anybody now. They don't need a whole big team of graphic designers or CGI experts to do it. They've got the technology to where they can just instantly pop this out um, very, very quickly. Uh, they can put one person's face on another person's body. They can change the voice to mimic the original voice. They can... Um, and what's scary is the computer can do this and even generate brand new dialogue that the original person, that no human is even saying. And it feels like you're talking to a real person. And and that's what we see right on the verge of our future. It's about to get a whole lot harder to tell what's real anymore. So get ready for scammers to get a hold of this AI technology and call you up. And they're going to pretend to be your banker. Okay, they're going to try to get your personal information, right? They're They're going to get a few pictures of... They might get a few pictures of what your real banker looks like and they have enough data now. They can create a deep fake of his face and his voice and they can talk to you. You're, you're going to start getting calls from people like that. You're going to start getting calls from telemarketers and salesmen and you're going to have no idea that you're talking to a robot. Okay, so j- like, just to give an example, I could go through a whole big thing about this. Maybe we will just on a future episode because this is going to be a recurring issue in the future. But how scarily accurate or creative that this artificial intelligence can be nowadays i was talking to that ChatGPT. it's a really interesting computer program that they've put out it's on the internet you just type a message to it and it talks back to you and it feels like a real person and you can even get it to create totally original art okay i asked it to write a poem about fake news and it instantly you know it wasn't a person typing this because it was instant it instantly popped this back out at me, okay? I said All I said to ChatGPT, I said, write me a poem about fake news. And then this is what it said to me. In an age of information where facts and fiction intertwine, it's hard to know what's true or not and who's spreading lies for their own design. We're bombarded with headlines and clickbait that's hard to resist, but how can we tell what's real and what's been manipulated and missed? With deep fakes and photo edits and bots that spread propaganda— it's hard to navigate the sea of news and find truth in the propaganda, but we must always remain vigilant and always question what we hear for. The truth is the most precious thing and it's up to us to hold it dear. <laughs> that is scary. Cause it just popped that back out at me in an instant. And I would ask it I say, write a poem about this or that. And I tell it what elements to include and it would just do it. And so th- these artificial intelligence, I'm not saying they're about to take over the world. They're still under the control of people. People can program them to spread lies. That's that's a danger about this, is people can program the, it's artificial intelligence. It can, in a sense, think for itself, but it's also being controlled by humans. And what humans want the artificial intelligence to tell us is the truth. And so you're not going to get the truth from these things, but it's it's amazing what they're capable of and how you can have conversations with them and the um how, how human sounding they can appear to be. So, as we hold the truth dear, as it said in that poem, I want to close with this thought. Create space for unauthorized thought. And that means think for yourself, not just what an AI chatbot can tell you, not just what modern dictionaries tell you, not just what the media tells you. Think for yourself in Elizabeth and England back during the days of Shakespeare the actors were actually forbidden from ad libbing or coming up with improvisational dialogue in their performances they were only allowed to repeat what the script said perfectly word for word you were only permitted to say what was allowed by the government by the by the government of the, at that time in England they were regulating this what people could say in plays because they only wanted people to stick to the script. The book Wits End by James Geary, it says it this way. The government feared extemporaneous entertainment might create space for unauthorized thought and thus incite the populace to sedition. The government wants to control what we say and silence anyone who engages in unauthorized thought, which means questioning the narrative, which means not parroting or not just believing everything they want you to think. So as I wake up this morning, I'm recording this on Sunday morning, and I wake up to news of Woody Harrelson going after the pharmaceutical industry. He did this in his opening monologue last night while hosting SNL. And and I know what you're thinking. SNL is still on? Yes, they're still making Saturday Night Live. But the next thing that surprised me is that another actor is willing now to go after Pfizer for all of its lies and manipulation. When I say another actor, I mean, there's been a few actors out there who would actually speak up about it. The new Black Panther actress. The Wasp actress Evangeline Lilly is um, anti-vaccine mandates. She's also famous for Lost. Uh, Zachary Levi, he's known for playing Chuck. He He went after Pfizer a few weeks ago. Now Woody Harrelson's going after Pfizer. Here's a clip from his monologue. Hey, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes. And people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea? And, And here's what's interesting about that joke that he made there at the start of the show. A lot of people believe that the joke was improvised, that it was not in the script. Because if anybody had known that he was actually going to say that, they wouldn't have let him say it. So for him to make that joke, you know, a lot of people are saying that he actually had to go off script, that it was unauthorized thought. When I see that, I think the tide is turning. More and more people are thinking for themselves. People are realizing how much they've been lied to the past few years. And they're not just going to stand idly by and let the lies wash over them anymore. They will actually be willing to stand up and speak the truth. You don't have to have your opinions accepted by the government or by a social media platform or the World Doll story group. So to everyone out there who's still willing to think unauthorized thoughts, I want you to do us all a favor. Don't shut up. Uh, Unless you want to talk about the gender identity of Oompa Loompas. Thanks for listening to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you, if you hear someone talking about singing a black national anthem, (laughs) that's just fake news.